2: I will call upon you to do a service for me.
1: Play the Godfather. Now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family.
3: No
4: purchase necessary. VGW Group, voyware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply.
5: Hello and welcome along to Attaboy Clarence this week for all about Golden Age of Detective Fiction in particular. Nero Wolfe. Rex Stout's fascinating, beer-guzzling, orchid-tending mystery mastermind. Nero Wolfe made two movie outings in the Golden Age and was played by two different actors. But are they any good? Do they still have the power to mystify most importantly, are they worth seeking out? We'll find out in a little while.
6: Meanwhile, imagine, if you please, four airplane engines, their propellers whirling at 2,000 revolutions per minute. Now imagine the pull on those engines, the vibration it means.
3: Okay, got it.
6: Such vibration would be staggering to the flying instruments of the plane and to the nerves of the crew. Yes, it would be, but for one seemingly simple device. Valium? Rubber engine mounts, which cushion the engine and isolate that vibration.
5: Yes, big fan of rubber airplanes.
6: Now, engine mounts made of rubber cemented to steel. Some time ago, a cement was developed to do that job. It was a cement made of natural rubber. But recently, with natural rubber so scarce, a cement made of synthetic rubber had to be developed. So Goodyear, with 20 years' experience in synthetic rubber, took the job on itself. For here it's the law that every Goodyear product must be better today than it was yesterday. Better tomorrow than it is today.
5: Uh, Okay, good to know. Anyway, off we go now. Did you ever
6: stop to think that if you're driving at today's top speed of 35 miles an hour and a blowout swerves your car into an oncoming truck which travels at the same speed... The resulting crash has a force of 70 miles an hour.
5: Yeah, I think about that every time I go for a massage.
6: Now, that's enough to W right over the steering wheel and push the engine through the dash.
5: Jolly little fellow, aren't you? Anyway, off we go now. Yet there is actually okay. no
6: need for a blowout to throw your car out of control. Not if the car is equipped with Goodyear lifeguards. Right. Okay. For the lifeguard is an inner tire, a two-ply safety tire within a tube. It replaces the conventional inner tube, and if your outer tire and tube blow, the inner tire of the lifeguard remains inflated. Holds the car steady so you can come to a sure safe stop. Right.
2: Oh. Well, thank you.
6: Okay,
5: well, time That's
6: no- the kind of blowout protection your family needs. And such sure protection Off. it is We. that never once has a lifeguard been reported to fail.
5: Go then. Never once. Off we go then. Take it over. Off we go then. Well, remember when your off tire we blows off, go out, good
6: your lifeguard never lets you
5: off we go now to a very sparkling little edition of who the hell is that hollywood legend one of my favorite appearances by a star as they do a fabulous job of disguising themselves and their voice see if you can tell who it is prick up those ears sharpen those wits focus hard and see if you can tell who the hell is that hollywood legend
7: all right, panel. As you know, in the case of our mystery challenger, you go to a different form of questioning. You will ask one question at a time, in turn, moving clockwise, and we'll begin with Dorothy Kilgallen. Uh, are you a curvaceous cutie? Oh, I certainly hope so. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Randall, I know your voice. I think I'd better disqualify myself. Oh, so oh, oh, Miss Francis. The last time you asked me to your house for dinner, did you call up and tell me to bring a pound That'll of butter? That'll be all, Mr. Randall, Miss Francis. Couldn't we have the answer to that. <laughs> Sounds like a beautiful relationship. Uh, <laughs> that was a legitimate question. <laughs> oh, pardon me. Did you get an answer? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the question. What Can was you your question? Plan- <laughs> the last time you, you asked me- You disqualified yourself, Mr. Randall, <laughs> I, I believe. I'm awfully confused. Didn't he disqualified he disqual- he disqual- himself. He please, Mr. Randall, would you keep quiet? Thank you, Miss Francis. <laughs> are you in the entertainment world? I've given some of the best years of my life.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you a star of a picture that
7: is currently playing in one of the big Broadway movie houses? No, I am not. That's one down and nine to go, Miss Gilgallen. Do you sing? I have quite a lovely voice that's given a chance, Yes. <laughs>
3: with it. No, I don't He's know. Out. Am I, He's am out.
0: I there? He's
7: out. Mr. No. Randall, did you disqualify yourself?
0: I thought I did, but I thought you disqualified my
8: disqualification.
7: <laughs> Let me review this whole business. No, I didn't. Miss Francis?
9: Uh, are you at the present time making a picture in New York City?
7: Yes, I am here, and I'm doing some shopping, too, while I'm here making the movie. Well, <laughs> Mr. Sir, also but
1: you are making a picture.
7: Yes. yes. Yes, I was on the
10: is it a picture that is going to be in a sort of a mystery or espionage
7: area? Yes, I believe so, with a little romance in there, yes. Miss Kilgallen? Uh, is it being directed by Alfred Hitchcock? By whom? Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock? Oh, yes. Is it being directed by Alfred Hitchcock? Yes, you are so right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Mr. Randall, has you has disqualified yourself, Miss Francis. Uh, not only directed
0: by Alfred Hitchcock, but co-starring
5: Cary Grant. We will stop it there. I think you must have it, surely. Well, hold on to your answer for now, and we'll find out later in the show. Now, for those of you who don't know him, Nero Wolfe is a detective created by author Rex Stout. Now, every detective has his own set of peculiarities. Nero Wolfe's USPs come in the fact that he never leaves his luxury townhouse in New York. He's incredibly lazy. He's terribly overweight. He drinks nothing but beer all day. And he has a penchant for gourmet food. My goodness, it sounds like me. And tending his orchids. Okay, maybe not so much. All of his cases are narrated by his assistant, Archie Goodwin who also does all of the running around and investigating while also hooking up with dishy girls. Generally what happens is that Archie brings back the information to Nero Wolf and Nero Wolf uses his dazzling powers of deduction to spot the one hidden clue and solve the crime remotely. It's a genius setup, really, because instead of some arch-intelligent, aloof, hard-boiled gumshoe, we're following the hapless Archie. So we get to experience the crime and the criminals like an everyman would, and thrill at the moment when Nero Wolf tells us what we failed to spot amid the foliage of clues. The stories have been adapted for radio, for TV, for movies, and thankfully for us, the first two movie adaptations came smack bang in the middle of the Golden Age. But is thankfully the right word? are they any good? Well, today I'm going to tell you about those two very movies, what makes them work and what doesn't, before proudly declaring who plays my all-time favourite version of the character. We'll start with the first adaptation, 1936's Meet Nero Wolf, starring Edward Arnold in the title role with Lionel Stander. As Archie. Now, I do love this old movie credits thing, where it's someone leafing through a sketch pad. you know? The names are all artfully drawn there, a bit like It's a Wonderful Life. It always makes me wonder what happened to those sketchpads. You can always tell how classy the studio was as well, by which form this took. So for MGM, you get like a slow panning across frames in an art gallery, where proudly displayed would be portraits of the stars and the names and which character they were playing. Paramount, you might get a photograph album... You can just tell Columbia with a cut rate hit house. The credits for Meet Near a Wolf are a magazine. Just some bloke thumbing through a magazine. Some notable names in this magazine, though. Produced by BP Schulberg, who you all know from the Carrie series. Directed by Herbert Bieberman, who would go on to become one of the Hollywood Ten. Starring Edward Arnold, Lionel Stander, and in a small role as Wolf's client, Marie, you get a young Rita Hayworth here billed as Rita Cancino.
1: I haven't been outside this house in seven years. Fresh air kills me. The traffic drives me crazy. I live here alone with my beer and my orchids and my work. And now because you can't find Marie, I've got to go out and find her myself. But I went to 30 places. You only had to go to one, the right place. The best beer maker in the world and you can't find her. But I've looked everywhere. It isn't as if I asked you to do the impossible. There are only six million people in New York. It isn't as if you were anywhere in the United States. I know how you feel, Chief, but I'll absolutely guarantee that Marie Marangola is nowhere in the city. It's Marie.
5: So the mystery here surrounds the mysterious death of a college professor who's stung by a mosquito on a golf course and who falls down dead moments later. As soon as he reads about it in the paper, Nero Wolfe knows that he was murdered. But how was it done? At the same time, he's agreed to help Marie, played by Rita Hayworth, to find her missing brother, only he seems to already know that it's another case of murder.
1: We told her we would find her brother for her. But we can't do that. The only thing we can find is his body. The police will probably do that for her. You see, Carlo didn't just disappear. He died. And he didn't just die.
5: was murdered. Turns out both murders are connected. But how? It's up to the enormous brain power and waistline of Nero Wolf and the hapless chicanery of poor old Archie to solve the crime.
1: Because whoever put the club in old man Kimball's bag couldn't have had any idea that the professor was going to use it. And old man Kimball would have been six feet under the sod right now if the professor hadn't borrowed his driver. Now I ask you, is that one for the book? So we gotta start all over again still playing hide and seek but now the question is who wanted to kill timble did you ever read a small town paper archie they're very interesting no and i don't try to grow white orchids either i thought we were working on a murder case you aren't but i am You're just rehashing everything that we
7: already know.
5: Meet Nero Wolf does a great job of introducing the characters to the screen. You get the beer drinking, you get the gourmet meals, you get the light comedy of Archie being ordered around the place, and you get a murder mystery that has a very ingenious solution.
1: You told him that story about Carlo's sister figuring that whoever did the murder would make a beeline for the house. And you had the house watched. No, no. Archie, our murderer is too smart to be caught in a trap so obvious that even you could see it. No, no, that isn't the trick at all. Well, what are you going to do now, Chief? I think I'll go downstairs and get something to eat. I'm hungry. Hungry? Why, you just ate a whole turkey. Yeah, but it was a
5: small one. I do think the comedy side of things is played up a little bit too much. Archie is more of a Man Friday in the stories, but here he's purely a slapstick sidekick. He spends almost the entire film trying to get married to his girlfriend, which is neatly sabotaged at every turn by Nero Wolfe. My main issue with this film is, surprisingly, Edward Arnold. He's a wonderful actor, and I enjoy him in so many movies. But there are two glaring faults here. First off, Nero Wolf is supposed to be so lethargic that he can't even get out of a chair without help. And his refusal to venture outside borders on agoraphobia. Edward Arnold is far too sprightly. He's bounding all over the place. Secondly, this version of Nero Wolf is kind of a douchebag. He's far too snidey with everyone, including Archie. I mean, he's pretty much nasty to him all the way through. Neither of these things are Edward Arnold's fault. He's just an actor performing the script he's been given, but it does leave a slightly sour taste in your mouth. Getting back to the mystery itself, the method of murder is very clever indeed, and the way Woolf pieces it together is wonderful and the cast list including not just Rita Hayworth but also Walter Kingsford, Victor Jory and Denny Moore so plenty of very appealing faces and performances. I enjoy this movie I like it a lot but it does present the main problem for me with adapting Nero Wolfe for the screen and that is he never leaves the apartment. Now, a clever writer and director would have worked with this in an interesting way and perhaps used the fact that he can't leave the apartment. They would also recognise the need for brevity for this film. This film is almost 80 minutes long and basically consists of Wolf being visited by a string of suspects again and again, barking questions at them, listening as Archie tells him something new. Then new people are shown in, and he barks at them. Then some more people come in, and he barks at them. Then Archie arrives and tells him something else. Then people are brought in again, and he barks at them. And they might be the first people who came in. Who knows? You kind of lose track. And this goes on for 80 minutes until he names the killer and tells everyone how it happened now i am a fan of these drawing room detective b movies but they really do have to cut the gristle off the plot and keep things fresh meet nero wolf has a fabulous cast a fabulous mystery and every opportunity to kick off a series that had some staying power it's a shame then to report that while it does have its moments it does sag a lot and it ends up being about as lethargic as its central character We then go to 1937's The League of Frightened Men, a great title, the second in the Nero Wolf film series. Now, it's almost as though someone at Columbia listened to the list of grievances I just gave and then went back in time to try and fix them with this movie. Edward Arnold is no more. Nero is now played by the great Walter Connolly, who you'll probably know best as Claudette Colbert's father in It Happened One Night. The action is very much taken out of the single apartment setting. We're all over the place here. We have another fascinating mystery and it's way shorter. Should work, right? But now... cup
1: of chocolate, Archie?
5: Can't use it, Chief.
1: Makes me brave. It's excellent. So thick you can float a spoon on it. Can't you see I'm bored, Chief? Bored? With books? Music? Chocolate? I want to see a movie. How about stepping out with me, Chief? Why should you, who work for America's best private investigator... No false modesty about me, you see... Why should you interest yourself in the invented difficulties of a moving picture detective when you know perfectly well in advance that everything
11: will be solved happily in the end?
5: This time, Nero Wolfe is called in to investigate the mysterious deaths of two men. Both belong to the same group of college friends who back in the day played a prank on one of their number, a man named Chapin, played by Eduardo Cinelli, which went terribly wrong and left Chapin crippled.
0: It started years ago when I was a sophomore at Harvard. Myself and nine fellow students, hazed a freshman, a young foreigner who had come over here to study and who changed his name to Chapin, Paul Chapin. The novelist Paul Chapin? It was a typical college joke, but this time it ended in tragedy. Since that day, Paul Chapin has never walked without the use of two canes.
1: That was a tough break.
0: For us, as well as Sir Chapin, we didn't get over it for a long time. Mentally, we were all victims of that injury. But that's beside the point. Chapin was poor. The ten of us kept him in college and continued to assist him until quite recently. Some months ago, Chapin made his first big success and became financially independent. To celebrate, an old classmate, Judge Harrison, gave Paul a party at his lodge in the mountains. Judge Harrison died during that
1: party. Judge Harrison was one of the ten hazers.
8: Yes. They said he fell over a cliff. I believe he was thrown over
5: by Paul Chapin. Since then, his hatred has been seething away, and in the wake of the two men's deaths, it transpires that Chapin had actually sent them warning letters threatening to murder them. The case seems to be an open and shut one, But maybe, just maybe, Chapin isn't the man they're looking for.
1: Gentlemen, I understand your confusion. At first, you were frightened, and you wanted me to protect you. Now, however, that the police have arrested Chapin, you no longer feel that you need my protection, and you don't wish to pay for a commodity that's no longer wanted. Am I right, Mr. Drummond? Yes, but since there's Hibbert letters... Precisely. I'm coming to that.
5: So with all the issues fixed, surely I should have enjoyed this one, right? Oh my goodness. Even though this is shorter, it feels longer. How is that even possible? And yes, they do get out of the apartment, but they do so by making Wolf a man of action in this one. He's off to bars. He's riding in cars. He's getting himself kidnapped. You have to wonder why on earth they even bothered calling him Nero Wolf. He's nothing at all. Like the original character he doesn't even drink beer he drinks hot chocolate all the way through this thing confusingly too lionel stander isn't the only one back from the first film he plays archie and we also get a returning walter kingsford who played an incredibly prominent role in meet nero wolf here he plays another incredibly prominent role but it's a different character so for most of the film i honestly couldn't understand why nero was talking to him as though he just met him would it have been so hard to cast another actor? You can't really fault the cast. Walter Connolly is a very high-pitched, unrecognisable version of Nero Wolf, but he does have a certain charm. Lionel Stander is the same again. He gets a lot of grief for these films, but he's not offensive. He's just not a purist's version. Down the bill, you have Edward McNamara, who played the villain in Johnny Come Lately with James Cagney. He plays the copper here. I like seeing him. Raffaella Ottiano, too. The mad Melita from The Devil Toll. She's in this, too. She's great. Ian Wolfe is here. Eduardo Cinelli. I didn't hate this film. I just wondered why it exists, and here's why. I don't think Nero Wolfe can work in a movie. If you stick to the stories faithfully, then it's not cinematic enough to remain interesting, as in meet Nero Wolf. If you try and sex it up a bit, make him a bit more dynamic, as in the League of Frightened Men, then what's the point in calling it Nero Wolf? Why not give that kind of story to the Falcon or the Saint? So a real paradox of a film series, one that can't ever really work on screen, how odd. I said at the beginning of this that I would tell you which version is my favorite and I shall. Cast your minds back to classic movie land, to that hallowed period, that golden age of Hollywood, and try, if you can, to call to mind an actor fitting this description. He has to be overweight. He has to be sarcastic. He has to be bossy. He must have that slightly more upper-class edge to him. He must be kind of dangerous. And you must be able to tell that most of what makes him tick is happening silently behind the eyes. Now, for me, the actor fitting that description perfectly is Sidney Greenstreet. Charles Lawton, too, but he was always a bit theatrical for me. Sydney Greenstreet is my ideal Nero Wolfe. And so how fortunate that in 1950. Sidney took the role of Nero Wolfe in a very popular and well-loved series on radio. In fact, it was so well-loved that Rex Stout himself, the man who dreamed Nero Wolfe up, said that it was the series that best represented his stories and characters. So I'm going to present a double bill today of Nero Wolfe Mysteries starring Sidney Greenstreet, and let's see how it's supposed to be done. These are two adventures I really like. The first is called The Dear Dead Lady. And the second is called The Malevolent Medic. I will see you afterwards.
10: My boss is the smartest and the stubbornest, the fattest and the laziest, the cleverest and the craziest, the most extravagant detective in the world, Nero Wolfe.
4: It's the adventure of The Case of the Dear Dead Lady with that brilliant, eccentric, private detective, orchid fancier and gargantuan gourmet, Nero Wolfe. Starring Sidney Greenstreet. (laughs) just come downstairs, having tended to his precious orchids. He was, as usual, seated in the library, which served as the office. He had just dialed a phone number, and with his eyes closed, was leaning back in his specially built chair, which was big enough for two, but not two of him.
7: Uh, a market, domestic.
10: And
2: important delicacies. Mr. Hausberger, this is Nero Wolf. Oh, oh, yeah,
10: Mr. Wolf. I
3: was just about to ring
2: you. Well, when... I have need of two pounds of duck liver. Ah. I do not, of course, refer to the commercialized Strasbourg pate. Well,
3: I appreciate the order, Mr.
2: Wolf, but. Uh... Next, my cook, Fritz, informs me that we require three fine fat geese.
7: Look, Mr. Wolf. There's a little matter of an unpaid.
2: Bill. You might add twelve cases of beer, a bushel of Vermont apples, green for stuffing, and a gallon of Marquisa Patricia Roman oil, Mister Wolf. In addition, not... Fritz has listed six dozen eggs, four braces of Sussex woodcock, and a few pounds of Westphalian ham. You have all that? Well, I I can get it, Mister Wolf. But my Thanks bookkeeper. Thanks very much, Mister Halspraker. That will be all. Yeah. <clears throat> Now then, Archie. Yes, boss? You seem to be worried. Oh, I am.
10: This means naturally that I'm supposed to handle Haltzbrecher's delivery boy when and if he shows.
2: I had thought of leaving a simple matter to
10: you. And what about the simple matter of the money? Money? I I hate to bring up a vulgar subject, but where is it coming from? Oh, of
2: course. You're right, Archie. I should have said... Said what? Charge it. Boss,
10: look. You don't realize I know, but we're into that truffle broker for 500-odd bucks and change.
2: All right, all right, then give him a check. Okay.
10: Okay, I will give him a check. And I hope they'll let you keep the orchids in your cell. You're a wit, Archie. Uh Mm-hmm. You know, I'm on the bank's mailing list. We got a notice this morning. You
2: don't mean... Oh,
10: but I do. Again? Yeah, you just can't take money out of an account, boss. Sometimes you got to put some in. (laughs) This is the only way to deal with the man I work for, and if I hadn't thrown him that scare, he wouldn't have been willing to listen when the door buzzer rang, and a prosperous looking young guy in the kind of clothes that don't grow on trees came in and stood in front of the boss's chair, fiddling with the brim of his pork pie.
0: My name is Oliphant, Mr. Wolf. Oliphant? Uh, yes, sir, Oliphant. I am the spiritual leader and guiding head of a small religious
2: group known as the Seekers of the Inner Power. Ah, <sighs> I see. Also a man addicted to marrying neither wisely nor well, but often. You read the papers. I do. Uh,
0: Mr. Wolf, I am as aware of my sin-ridden past as anyone else is. The point is that I'm no longer that kind of man. Even a person such as I can see the light in time. Good. Might I ask why you've come to see me, Mr. Oliphant? I need your help, Mr. Wolfe. Concerning? A certain young lady with whom I'm deeply in love. Oh, I beg you not to confuse the present emotion with any of my earlier escapades. What I feel for Miss Dana is the pure and righteous glow of an upright seeker of the inner power.
2: I promise to look on you as thoroughly redeemed, Mr. Oliver. Proceed. Oh, by the way, do I recognize the name of your young lady as a Park Avenue socialite, an amateur swimming champion? Yes, but
0: she's sweet, wonderful, beautiful... I've asked her to marry me, and she's given me some hope. In time, I fully expect to make her my wife.
10: Well, then where's the problem?
0: The problem is the presence of another man in her life. I'm sorry, sir. I'm a detective, not a matchmaker. Oh, this isn't a question of making a match, Mr. Wolfe. I have much too much respect for your talents to think of offering you such an assignment. Exactly. What do you want me to do? I want you to save Il Sedena's life. Her life? Mr. Wolfe, this other man I spoke of is insanely jealous. Not only of Ilse's present, but of her past as well. He has threatened to kill her.
2: I don't doubt your earnestness in this matter, Mr. Oliphant, but how would you know?
0: I was listening on an extension in Miss Dana's apartment a few days ago when Hunter called.
10: Hunter? Yes, sir. Jack Hunter. Known as Jack the Babe Hunter. Wait 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 a minute. I know that canvas back. Huh? Sure. He's a coffee and cake prelim waltzer. Oh,
2: no, he's not. He's a boxer. Archie is being fancy, Overlook it, Mr. Oliphant. Is Hunter in love with this lady of yours? I doubt it. He's
0: a man of complete moral and spiritual
2: corruption, I believe. Naturally, he would. But what are the facts?
0: In my opinion, he's after her for her money.
2: She has money? To burn. And you, Mr. Oliphant? Me. Can you also afford to burn? How much do you want? The answer to that would be Astronomical. However, if you leave a check for, say, $7,000, I shall look into your matter the very moment I have completed a little research into the nutrition of the Polynesian orchid.
10: Elephant's check gave our bank account a slight blood transfusion. I think it was the boss's plan to spend a week or two in the plant rooms before he got busy on the case. And he'd have done it, too, if that phone call hadn't come in about a little after nine, just after Wolf had polished off one of Fritz's dinners and was settling back with a stein of beer in his hand.
2: Don't disturb yourself, Archie. I'll get it. Now, yeah, well, look out you don't
10: strain yourself, boss. you got to straighten out an elbow to reach that receiver.
2: You have an unfortunate flair for mixing humor with impertinence, my friend. Hello, Nero Wolf speaking.
3: This is Ilsa Dana, Mr. Wolf.
2: How do you do, Miss Dana? We were discussing you only this morning. So I've heard. Through whom?
12: Ted Oliphant.
2: I see. The young man seemed to be quite worried about you. The young
12: man should tend to his own affairs.
2: Said you were in some danger.
12: I know what he said. And not one word of it was true. Oh? Uh, I'd like to talk to you, Mr. Wolfe.
2: I'm sure it would be an immense pleasure. Where do you live?
12: I have an apartment at uh, 22 Blanton Street. Could you be here
2: soon? I could be there in a quarter of an hour, Miss Dana. By proxy, of course.
10: The proxy, naturally, was yours truly. Ten minutes later, at twenty past nine, I walked up to Ilsa Dana's door with a nosy elevator boy giving me the double O. The reason for his interest was that her door was open and the room inside was empty except for a little twisted pile of pale pink satin, which at close range turned out to be a woman. Which woman turned out to be Ilsa Dana. And Ilsa Dana was dead.
3: be pretty.
10: She isn't now. Yeah, strangulation doesn't help any girl's looks, son. Make anything of it? Well, the position of her body and the bloodstains on her pointed fingernails tells me that she put up a tough struggle before somebody succeeded in smothering with a pillow from the sofa over there. Yeah,
7: that figures. When did it happen,
10: I wonder? In yeah, the last 15 minutes, I'd guess. Say, who's been up in the elevator this evening?
7: Nobody for her. Well, somebody
10: came up. Well, who says not? They could have used the stairs, you know. Yeah. How well do you know Miss Dana? I know exactly zero about Miss Dana. How could you write her up and down every day and know nothing about her? It's a rule at the house to keep your mouth shut. The rule also goes when being questioned by a cop. A cop? Who's a cop? Oh, I guess you're a cello player from the Philharmonic. Look, I happen to work for a guy named Nero Wolfe. Oh. Heard of him? Maybe. Well, if your memory comes alive, son, I might see my way clear to, uh, Spend a few dollars with you. Understand? I'll keep you in mind. Going down, mister? I spent time trying to get sense out of the superintendent and a set of chambermaids, but they were as quiet as a ballpark on Christmas Eve. Then I called the cops and told them about Oliphant and Hunter. By the time I got home, the house was dark and Nero Wolf was sleeping. Next morning, I gave him the details while he drank three bottles of beer. When I finished, he sat for a long time and then started another bottle.
2: The prize fighter. What about the prize fighter, Archie?
10: Hunter? Well, I, I phoned the hotel he lives in before you got up. And? They told me he wasn't in.
2: Hmm. You know, I begin to think that Mr. Oliphant brought us a more absorbing case than he suspected.
10: You know, I'm glad you like it.
2: I don't like it. I don't like work of any variety. But this thing has its points. Well, what do we do next? Next, we investigate my client. What? Merely because the reform playboy employs a detective doesn't exempt him from suspicion at him. Oh, now, who's that? I'm afraid we have no choice but to open the door and see.
8: My name is Young. Barstow Young. It's nice meeting you, Mr. Young. What do you want? I want to see Nero Wolf. About... About a certain young lady with whom I am deeply in love. Well, will you repeat that? I want to see Mr. Wolfe about a certain young lady with whom I am deeply in love.
3: Mm-hmm.
8: Her
10: name, please? Ilsa Dana. Is it possible that you entertain plans of making her your wife? Well, I. yes, but uh, there's a problem involved. Another man? Uh, yes. Well, and... do come in. Do come in. I think we've been waiting for you. Oh, Mr. Wolf. Here's another one. Ah,
2: Mr. Wolfe. You've come to me about Miss Dana, sir?
8: I have come to you more specifically about a man who has threatened her life. Hmm. How unusual. He's the treacherous kind. Mild-mannered, you know. As we say in my profession, he underplays it.
2: Your profession, then, is the stage. It is, sir. Go on, you interest
8: me deeply. I was present recently when he told her that he would certainly kill her. Unless she mended her sinful ways. Sinful? No one denies that Ilsa has had, uh, shall we say, a checkered career. But the man's attitude is totally fanatical.
2: What's his particular brand of fanaticism, Mr. Young?
8: Theodore Oliphant is a religious maniac. Well, what do you know? He's come to give Theodore a bad report card. I don't understand. I've come to ask Mr. Wolfe to prevent his murdering Miss Dana.
2: Am I allowed a direct question, sir?
8: Why, of course,
2: where were you between 9 and 9.20 p.m. last night?
8: 9 and 9.20? Nine tw- Why do you ask?
2: You said I was permitted a direct question.
8: Oh, well, I was walking in the uh, park, as I remember.
2: Do you make a habit of walking in the park?
8: I have lately. I'm preparing for an important role in the forthcoming production. What's so important about last night?
2: From your point of view, a great deal, sir.
8: Well, what do you mean?
2: Last night, Miss Ilsa Dana was murdered. What? Mr. Goodwin here discovered the body. No. I'm afraid I must insist, Mr. Young. Uh, oh, why, why are you looking at me like that? Uh, are you accusing me of... A, I uh, have accused you of nothing, my dear sir. Uh,
8: no, look, you're making a mistake. Oliphant killed her. You may be sure of that.
2: I have your word.
8: I know him. He was trying to reform her. I wanted to make her a devout follower of his cult. The Seekers of Power. I heard him tell her to her face that if she refused redemption, he would see to it that she didn't live on in her wickedness.
2: You could produce other witnesses.
8: Do you know, in your own smug way,
10: you're as detestable a character as I have ever had. All right, all right. Let's everybody take five. Yeah?
3: Nero
13: Wolf?
10: He's busy. This is Archie Goodwin.
3: You'll do,
13: Goodwin. This is Jack the Babe Hunter.
10: Oh, Uh, how are you? Great.
13: Except the cops seem to want to talk to me about some murder, Fandango, because as I get it, you name
4: my name. You got it wrong.
13: I doubt it, and I'm coming over there to set you straight. Why'd you ring me in on this mess, Wolf? You knew
2: the girl pretty well.
13: Me and how many more? Besides, what time was she murdered?
2: Last night, between 9 and 9.20. I see. So if you will inform the police where you were at the time, that should be that. Yeah. By the way, Mr. Hunter, where were you at the time?
13: I don't see your badge, Wolf.
2: I was only wondering.
13: I haven't been near the Dana woman for over a month. But if you're really interested, I'll give you the name of the killer.
2: Please do not keep us in suspense, Mr. Hunter.
13: A couple of years back, Ilse financed a guy in a big and lousy Shakespearean play that closed like a clam and nothing flat. Go on. It was money down the drain. The guy's got nerve, and he was in love with her, and he figured she'd do anything for him. So he comes back to her to finance him again, this time in Hamlet, no less. I see. And I don't have to tell you what a flop that would be.
2: You needn't tell me the actor's name either. You know? Mr. Bastow Young, just left here.
13: Yeah? Well, he's your man, Wolf. He got so sore when she told him she wouldn't toss any more moolah into his broken-down career, he went off his rocker and tore it down.
2: Your reason for thinking so.
13: Well, I met him on the street one day, and he started beefing to me with blood in his eyes. So all I could do not to punch him.
2: The results might have been less fatal if you had followed your instincts,
13: sir. Uh, I couldn't. The guy's built like a broomstick. He's weak as a cat. Hit him once, he'd crack like dry plaster.
2: I see. Hmm.
13: What's on your mind?
2: This man you're accusing of Miss Stainer's murder, Mr. Hunter, he was very much in love with her. She was thinking about marrying him, he said.
13: He said.
2: Yes, he did. I heard him, too.
13: He was talking to his skullcap. cap. also wasn't going to marry anybody. No? No, she couldn't. Why couldn't she? Well... But she just couldn't, that's all. So long. <laughs>
10: Well, now we got a perfect circle with everybody pointing at everybody else and nobody able to prove a thing.
2: What Hunter says isn't impossible, Archie. You think Young did it? I don't think at all yet. But if there's anything more dangerous than a woman scorned, it's an actor scorned. We have another visitor. Yeah, who are you
10: expecting?
2: At this point, anybody.
10: Hi. Oh, you. Yeah, I told you you might hear from me. Come on in. Who's this? A fellow runs the elevator at 22 Blanton Street. What do you got for me, kid? Postcard. Postcard? Yeah, the cops missed it, but I spotted the edge stuck under a rug.
2: Nice of you to have delivered it. Maybe he was just being curious.
10: Curious? It's not every elevator boy who has a chance to see Nero Wolfe in the flesh.
3: Oh, him?
7: (laughs) Come off it, high pockets. I'm here because you mentioned something about spending a few bucks. Oh. I wouldn't cross the street to see the best gumshoe that ever breathed. Look, gumshoes
2: don't breathe, and how would you like a sock? To... Archie, pay him and let him go.
10: Yeah, pay me and let me go. Sure, Mr. Wolf. Here you are. Thanks.
7: Don't mention it. Anytime, pal. Anytime. How do you
10: like that fresh little punk?
2: Archie, the lad has done us nobly. Yeah? A typewritten card addressed to Miss Ilsa Dina. Well, what's it say? Rather peculiar message. Have you prayed tonight? It's signed with a single letter O. Have you prayed tonight? Yes. Signed O? Exactly.
10: Weird, isn't it? Well, what's weird about it? What could be plainer? Have you prayed tonight? Now, I ask you, who is the man in this deal who's interested in praying? All of us, I hope, are God-fearing.
2: All right, all right. But I ask you again, what does O stand for? It could stand for O'Brien, obituary, Omaha. What about Oliphant? Oliphant, too. Look, what, what's
10: with this indifference? The case is cracking and you slough it off. You remember what Young said? Oliphant threatened to kill her because she wouldn't join that cockeyed movement of his. Don't
2: exhaust yourself, Archie. We have a hard night ahead. Yes, but I don't understand. But I don't mean to stifle your imagination, my friend. But if you'd reserve your deductions for a little while, you could lend me some much needed assistance. What do you want? I want you to become a burglar. A burglar? I want you to hurry over to the dead woman's apartment on Branton Street and ransack it. For what? How do I know? We need help. Anything may help us. Go through the place with a fine tooth comb.
10: I tore the late Miss Dana's apartment to shreds, but I saw nothing. Then, just as I was about to give it up as a bum job, I noticed a little writing desk in the living room. I fried loose the lock and spotted something among a pile of papers that belonged to no well to do flat. It was a pawn ticket. Lot 8N046. And the address was a pawn shop around the corner on 6th Avenue. It wasn't more than 90 seconds later that I walked into the joint and tossed the ticket across the counter.
8: Oh, oh, yeah, this, huh? Want to redeem it.
10: And fast, up,
8: huh, Hops? That's yeah, nothing that's worth much, mister. No? No. Uh, oh, what is it? This. Small steel filing box. Anything in it? I don't know. Come to me locked, never been able to get it open.
10: We got it open, Wolf and I. Smashed the front end with a poker. There were some odds and ends inside, old earrings, some thumbtacks, a cigarette lighter, just trash. Then the boss stuck his fingers in
2: and pulled out a plum. This is it? What do you mean, this is it? You fail to recognize this classic document? Huh? A marriage license, Archie. A marriage license. Yeah, well, whose marriage license? The wording is self explanatory. Listen. This is to certify, etc., etc., thus licensing on this third day of May, 1946, the marriage of Miss Ilse Dana to Mr. Johan Jaeger.
0: Johan Jaeger?
2: Exactly. Well, who in the world is Johan Jaeger? We'll soon see. I don't get it. I can understand. It's a befuddling little puzzle. It'll be very easy for one to make a fatal mistake here. But, of course, you won't. I won't.
10: Three hours later, I'd herded all the suspects into the office, and he sat in his chair and glared at them, Oliphant, Young, and Hunter. It was tense and tight, and the boss let it stay that way, saying not a word to anybody while he calmly sipped his beer. It was Oliphant who cracked first. I didn't kill Ilsa. I couldn't have.
2: Jealousy is a very compelling motive, Mr. Oliphant. And you came to me, remember, complaining that there was another man in Ilsa Dana's life?
0: Whatever I complained about it, and jealous as I was, I didn't kill her as the sacred power as my holy
2: judge. Being unacquainted with your sacred power, I'd have to ask you for a better authority.
13: Sacred power...
2: Oh, it simply wouldn't have been possible for me to have done it.
0: Why not?
13: Yeah, why not?
0: Because I... I was at Mickey's Night Owl Club last night from 7 until 4 a.m. Contemplating the sacred power, no doubt.
2: That can be proved, Mr. Oliphant? Well,
0: let me call now. Let the head waiter tell you.
2: Hmm. Well, you take your embarrassment as an indication that you're telling the truth? Hey,
10: wait a minute. You You can't let him off like that.
2: Don't be bothersome,
10: Archie. Yeah, but we got that card he wrote, the one about have have you prayed tonight, signed with his initial.
2: He didn't write that card, Archie.
10: Now, look.
2: And the O is not his initial, is it, Mr. Barstow Young? Uh,
8: I'm afraid I, I don't understand.
2: On the contrary, I'm afraid you do. But for the record, I'll explain. Oh, Archie. Yes, boss? Hand Mr. Young that large red volume off the shelf behind Mr. Hunter's head. This one? That one, thank you. Now then, Mr. Young, you will favor me by opening the volume to page 1133. But why? Open it, sir. Good. You will now count six lines down from the top and read what you see.
8: Have you prayed tonight? Thank you, Mr. Young. What the devil is going on? Mr.
2: Young has just given us a reading from a tragedy. The line have you played tonight is spoken by the hero to the heroine just before he murders her. The name of the heroine is Desdemona. And the hero, as I'm sure you all know, is Othello. Othello? Yeah, the O was not Oliphant, Archie. Othello, I think, was a Shakespearean play which Miss Dana financed for our Mr. Young. And knowing she would recognize the quotation as well as the threat behind it, he sent it to her to warn her that he meant to murder her. You won't have the unmitigated gall to deny that, will you, Mr. Young? No.
8: No, I don't deny it. Do I call the police? But I didn't kill her. The fact that I sent the car doesn't mean I killed her. Well, it'll do for my money.
2: But not for mine, Archie. What? Mr. Young couldn't have killed Miss Dana. Why not? Because he lacks the strength to strangle such a healthy young woman, a champion athlete. Wide awake and full of fight. He's rather a frail person, as we know. And smothering Miss Dana with that pillow was no easy task. She struggled. Therefore, she clawed the wrists of the murderer. I'm sure that if you examine Mr. Young's wrists, you will find no scratches or scars.
10: Here, let me see
8: that. Go ahead.
2: Well, Archie?
8: Ah, you're right. Nothing.
2: I was sure there wouldn't be. The person who actually killed Miss Dana was a powerful physical specimen. Yeah? Yes, Mr. Hunter. In all probability, a professional athlete. A muscular man in good condition.
13: You pointing at me?
2: Seems quite likely, doesn't
13: it? You're out of your head. Am I?
2: Yeah. Ilse Dana war ihr Frau? Nicht war?
13: Jawohl. I. I mean.
2: You said yeah, ja, Mr. Hunter. And you meant ja. Yes. I asked you in German if Ilse was your wife. And you, in the heat of emotion, answered me yes in your mother tongue. Look, what's going on here? Allow me to present Mr. Johann Jäger, Archie. Him? I've known it since we first saw that marriage license. You see, Jack Hunter is the English translation of our friend's real name back in Germany. Where he comes from, Mr. Johann Jäger. Oh, what do you
13: know? So you proved nothing. Yeah, I was married to Ilse. That's why I said she couldn't marry anybody else. But I didn't kill her. She was my wife. I loved her...
2: Oliver Ann told us you were insanely jealous
13: of him. What if he did? You know better. Do we? Sure you do. You told yourself over the phone that every word Oliphant said was a lie.
2: Interesting. What is? How you could possibly know what Ilsa Dana told me over the phone. I haven't mentioned it to you or anybody else.
13: Oh, well, well, you see... It...
2: I see most clearly, Mr. Jaeger, that you must have been in the apartment with her listening on the extension phone... Oh, you couldn't possibly have that information. And it was only a few minutes after that telephone call that Elsa Dana
13: was smothered to death. And I see it's about time I said goodnight. Wait a minute, Yeager. Wait a
2: minute. Good work, Archie. I advise you to sit still, Mr. Johann Yeager
0: Hunter. I was right. I told you he threatened to kill her. But why?
2: I've only guessed at the story reconstructed it, so to say. But I think you and Mr. Young Young are to be congratulated. On what, sir? On not having won your fair lady. You've always thought of her as a sweet, demure society girl. But actually, she was a vicious person, as bad as the man who killed her, if not worse. She tortured him cruelly for four long years. How can you say that about her? How can you doubt it, Mr. Oliphant? There must have been a great many men in her life. We know at least two definitely, you and Mr. Young. But she was in love with me. She was in love with me. I'm sorry to shatter your illusions, but she was not in love with either of you. She was using you for her purpose. What was her purpose? Tementing the man she married. That was her preoccupation day and night. She delighted in tyrannizing over him as one might in breaking a bull or taming a wild mustang. Do I come near the truth, Hunter? Yes,
13: until I couldn't stand it any longer.
2: May I ask then why you married her?
13: Why? Because I couldn't help myself. I crawled for her. I married her on the terms that nobody should ever know I was her husband. She was too good for me, she told me, that to my face, over and over. That we belonged to different worlds. But I was crazy about her, so I took it. To what I've taken you wouldn't believe...
2: Oh, I'm sure I would, Mr. Hunt. I'm a very understanding man. The question is, will a jury believe you? And that we must begin to learn immediately. Archie. Yes, sir? Phone for Inspector Kramer.
4: Listening to the new adventures of Nero Wolf starring Sydney Greenstreet. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell brings you mystery, adventure.
10: Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. Who? Mr. Hal Horton, United Industries? Oh, I see. Well, I must warn you, Mr. Horton, Mr. Wolf doesn't take kindly to big industrialists. Says their great wealth upsets his digestion. Why do you want to see him? The connection's bad. I don't hear you. Who? Who?
2: Mr. Horton, who...
10: Hmm, we're cut off.
2: What is it, Mr. Goodwin? Mr. Hal Horton called. I understand that. I won't see him. Tell him what money I have to invest I put into orchid plants.
10: Mr. Horton wasn't promoting anything. And what did he call you for? The great Horton needs a detective. Maybe just my occupational reflex, but I thought he said somebody had been murdered. (gasps) It turned out that what Horton had said had been murder, which became celebrated in the case of the malevolent medic. But its solution wasn't a simple matter of following up his accusation. It had false clues mixed all through it like raisins in a pudding. The man we came to know as the malevolent medic was young Dr. Benjamin Sloan. The case began on the sunny afternoon when Grace Banks, his nurse, came into his private office.
9: Uh,
10: waiting room's finally empty, I take
9: it. Well, there's one more patient, darling. I'm sorry. Doctor, hmm. Mrs. Horton's here for another of the thymine chloride shots you ordered for.
10: I said you could give her those, Grace. She doesn't have to wait to see me.
9: Oh, she's hung up her mink coat, parked her orchid and her alligator bag, and filled up all the ashtrays with lipstick cigarette stubs. Mrs. Horton prefers to wait for you. She seems very upset.
10: I hoped she'd get hold of herself.
9: Mrs. Hal Horton, with all that money. Whatever gives her such jitters? <laughs> Darling, if I ever get in that condition after we're married, please shoot me.
10: I've advised her to go to a specialist. Hers isn't a true medical case. Well, I'll do what I can. Get a needle ready, will you, Grace, and show Mrs. Horton in?
9: Yes, darling. I mean, doctor. <laughs> Mrs. Horton, will you step in now?
12: Been in that waiting room for hours. Ben, I wrote you every day this week. Why didn't you answer me? You
10: say your health hasn't improved, Leslie.
12: I'm worse, much worse.
10: Still chain-smoking, drinking, and sleeping pills? I
12: have to take something. I can't walk the floor all night, can I? Thinking, thinking.
10: Why are you so unhappy, Leslie? You have what you always said you wanted, money, clothes, excitement. You
12: have the right to say that. But don't, please don't.
10: I'm only pointing out facts you should face. I told you from the beginning you need a nerve specialist.
12: I need you. Nobody else can help me at all.
10: Leslie, you went over this the last time you were here, and in all those letters you've been sending. Now, let's cross it off for good, shall we? Don't talk like that. You don't mean it. I'm no longer a lovesick dope, and you're the wife of one of the biggest industrialists in the country.
12: Yes, Hal Horton. I despise him. He thinks his money makes him God. He thinks he can buy anything that he bought me. It made me think I was getting in the world with a fence around it. Everything I want is on the other side of that fence.
10: You don't know what you do want.
12: I want us the way we used to be happy in love together.
10: Leslie, please be quiet. Why Miss Banks is in the laboratory. she can hear you.
12: What of it? I'm not ashamed. I'll tell her. I'll tell everybody. Imagine Hal's face when he finds out I'm leaving him, but I'm coming back to you. He already knows about you. I told him you were in love with me, that you're jealous. He doesn't like it.
10: Leslie, you're raving. Now stop it.
12: You always said I was the most attractive woman in the world. You
10: made your choice. Now get this into your head. I'm really in love now. In a few weeks, I'm going to be married. Now I'll get your medicine.
12: So it's really true. You are going to be married. Yes. I heard it, but I didn't believe it. Going to marry a nurse... All my friends have known and been laughing at me. Please, now that's enough. I made a plan, a wonderful, beautiful plan about us. Ben, you love me. Ben, say you love me.
0: Mrs. Horton,
10: that is all over.
12: You don't love me.
10: No longer. You're here as my patient, and that's all. After this treatment, I must ask you to get another doctor.
12: A wonderful, beautiful plan for us. And now she threatens to step in and spoil it. Well, maybe I'll spoil a few plans. How would you like that?
10: Threats will accomplish nothing.
12: I can ruin things for you, Ben. All those fancy ideas of yours about having a fine practice, being a great doctor. Do you want to give those up? I can arrange it so that maybe there won't be any wonderful future for you. Are you prepared to face that possibility? Because I'm prepared to make it a reality. And I mean it. You'll regret this day as long as you live.
10: I'll get your medicine, Mrs. Horton.
12: Hand me my bag. Thank you. Oh, I hate you, Ben.
3: I hate you both.
10: Sorry to have kept you waiting, Mrs. Horton. Miss Banks had to do a repair job before she could use the sterilizer. Alcohol, Miss Banks?
9: Yes, Dr. Sloan. Now, Mrs. Horton, may I help? Thanks. So nice of you. There. Right side right for the hypo this time, isn't it? Just touch with this cotton. Ready now, Doctor? <laughs> oh, I, I, well, What's the matter, Mrs. Horton? <sighs> I'm, I'm just cold. Alcohol. After
10: this, I advise you to go home and rest. These massive doses are a little painful, but they give results so. Just relax here and you can leave in ten minutes. Come, Miss Banks, I want to talk to you.
12: Doctor! Doctor! I, I feel sick. I feel very sick.
10: You might as well stop acting. I
12: can't get up. My feet they're...
9: Look at her. Something's happened. Hysteria. No, her face. Oh, Ben, she's falling. Mrs. Horton, hold on to me. I've got you. Hold her up.
10: Leslie, what is it?
3: Pain.
9: Terrible pain.
10: Where? What from?
3: Sick. Everywhere.
12: Pain. Everything's pain. Pain in my head. Pain
3: in my feet. My feet.
12: My feet.
3: Oh.
9: Doctor, she, she's dead.
10: Yes, Grace. Get a card from the files. I, I want to study it. From the first day Mrs. Horton came here.
9: What was it, Ben? What happened to her?
10: Symptoms are of a heart condition from which it seems the patient has just expired. Then you must call her husband. Grace, did you hear me?
9: Yes, Dr. Sloan.
2: Well, I discourage your visit here, Mr. Horton. I do have a sort of curiosity about the operation of so-called big business. Maybe offer you a glass of beer and hear an explanation of the rise and fall of this morning's stock
11: market. You don't think I've come here socially? Hm. I wish to engage your services for... Not available. You're a detective, aren't you?
2: Specializing in cases that interest me.
11: Sorry, Mr. Horton. I don't need it, thank you. But Mr. Wolf says he specializes in cases that... I've just him. got here. I haven't told my story. I don't believe you even know who I am.
2: Oh, yes, we do. We do indeed. A millionaire. Did
11: I offend you by speaking of a fee?
2: No, on the contrary. It is that portion of your conversation which interested me most. Frankly, I planned to spend the evening examining the first edition of Henry James. I'd like to purchase, and the word fee suggested a
11: possible way. Now, what have you done, sir? What have I
2: done? <laughs> One doesn't have to be a detective to recognize you're in trouble, Mr. Horton.
11: Look, Mr. Wolf, I've done nothing. But I've got a question I've got to have answered. I need facts. They tell me you're the man who can give them to me. If Nero Wolf can't get them for you, they're not facts. They're fancies, Mr. Horton. Well, my story's involved.
2: But the gist of it is, uh, your beautiful wife, a former model, died last week. The death certificate indicated a heart attack. You suggest she was murdered.
11: How did you know?
2: Never mind how I came to my conclusions. How did you come to yours?
11: Leslie had been going to a Dr. Benjamin Sloan. She said he was a specialist. Some friend had recommended She'd been upset. He was giving her vitamin B shots, she told me.
2: You doubt that was
11: true. Dr. Sloan informed me uh, after she died in his office uh, there'd been a heart condition from the beginning. Well, I don't believe it. Leslie was a very emotional girl. She'd have been quite frightened of a heart ailment. She'd have told me about it.
2: Maybe she didn't comprehend its
11: seriousness. Dr. Sloan did. Why didn't he get in touch with me at once about it? Then, when I went to clear up Leslie's room, I discovered something. Leslie didn't go to Sloan through a friend. She'd known him when she was a model and he was a hospital intern. She'd kept letters he'd written to her then. Love letters. Indeed. Well, doesn't that give you an idea, Mr. Wolfe? Sloan lost Leslie to me. No man who'd been in love with Leslie would ever get over it. Would a man be jealous enough, kill a woman in love rather than have her belong to another man?
2: An interesting theory, Mr. Harden, one frequently advanced in fiction. Shall we investigate and see how it works out in fact?
11: Ah, you'll take the case, then.
2: The intricacies of the feminine nature are challenging. If you do not have to come in contact
11: with the creatures.
2: The uh, practical research in such matters I leave to Mr. Goodwin here. It is the field in which he specializes. But it's you I want. Our method of operation is not under your control, Mr. Horton. To be so kind, Archie, get a first-hand report of Dr. Benjamin Sloan and the women in his life. Just came to ask a few routine
10: questions, Dr. Sloan. I don't understand your interest in the Horton case, Mr. Goodwin, is it? That's right. The death certificate was signed and a report made to the medical inspector. Detectives are a snoopy lot. Detectives? Are you from the police department? No, I'm employed to note some details before we close up the Leslie Horton estate. Sudden deaths have to be double-checked. I'm afraid I can't add a thing to what I've already reported. Well, thanks for seeing me anyhow. been a pleasant visit. Ever have a patient die in your office before, Dr. Sloan? No, but I've seen similar cases in the hospital, of course. Was Mrs. Horton warned about her heart condition, Dr. Sloan? I discussed her case with her fully and frankly. And her husband wasn't Mr. Horton alarmed? He didn't know. Mrs. Horton's ailment was, well, not to bore a layman with medical details. was not a fatal one, necessarily. She might have gone on for years. Just played in bad luck, huh? The worst. Mm When did you first meet her? Several weeks ago. Saw her how many times? It's all on the record. She was nervous. I prescribed thiamine chloride. Her medical report card shows that. You read it for yourself. Well, I guess that's all, Dr. Sloan. Won't bother you further. Miss Banks will show you out.
9: Yes, Dr. Sloan?
10: Sort of a modern Aladdin arrangement, isn't it? Wish I could press a buzzer and have a beautiful girl like you appear. Mr. Goodwin is leaving. Oh,
9: this way, Mr. Goodwin. You can use the side door. The waiting room is full of patients.
10: So long, Doctor.
9: This way, through the lab. There's a door from it into the corridor.
10: Cozy place, all those bottles. I suppose there's enough stuff in here to kill an army.
9: To cure one.
10: Miss Banks, may I say that you're the kind of a nurse that patients dream about? Make it a pleasure to go to a hospital. Blonde hair, blue eyes, winkers an inch long.
9: Are they real? If you'll excuse me.
10: What do I have to come down with to persuade you to take care of me,
9: huh? I don't take cases. I'm a technician. Good day, Miss. So
10: you work just for Dr. Sloan? That's too bad the way he's involved in this Horton case it looks serious.
9: Mrs. Horton simply died of a heart attack in Dr. Sloan's office.
10: If you wanted to help your boss, Miss Banks, you'd stop rushing around and answer a few questions.
9: I'm sure Dr. Sloan gave you the necessary information.
10: Guess he doesn't realize the trouble he's in. If you can supply any details that'll change the picture, you'll be doing him a great favor. He's a nice guy. I want to help.
9: What is there to say? The report. Let's get it
10: in your own words. Just what really happened to that day?
9: Well... Dr. Sloan gave Mrs. Horton the vitamin B shot. That was routine. Mm -hmm. But she didn't get up afterward. She said she was sick. And then she fell and I caught her.
10: And Dr. Sloan administered emergency treatment. What did that consist of, Miss Bank?
9: All that is in the office record. What would bring on such an attack? It could have been several things.
10: Could it have been something she ate? Acute indigestion affects the heart. Maybe Mrs. Horton would be here now if the doctor thought to use a stomach pump.
9: He did use one. He did everything there was time to do.
10: She certainly went in a hurry. Suffered a lot?
9: She said she was in pain.
10: Where, her stomach?
9: No, not her stomach. Where, then? Well, she seemed to be in pain all over.
10: Reflex, maybe? When it was over, what did you do, Miss Banks?
9: Call Mr. Horton.
10: Must have been a blow to the great man. I understand she was younger than he is and quite a sultry girl
9: I've talked to you professionally because you said it was necessary to help Dr. Sloan. Is that all, Mr. Goodwin?
10: I guess it is for now. Unless you'll have dinner with me. Thank you, no. I'm handsome, hardworking, and harmless. I'll bring you references from my employer. What do you say?
9: The express elevator's the one on the right.
10: Must be there's another man. Wouldn't be the doctor, would it? Well, you'll fit better in a Pullman kitchen than here among the test tubes at that. My reluctant congratulations. Very you? Innocent as lambs, both Sloan and the nurse. Evidence to prove it? My unfailing sensibilities, not the murderer type. Nice couple, doctor and the nurse. I suspect they're engaged. She's so much in love with him, I could have been you, and she wouldn't have known the difference.
2: Very flattering.
10: Records? The usual medical record, Mrs. Horton's first visit, symptoms, subsequent visits. Here are the notes on it.
2: Hmm. Vitamin B shots. No chance they brought this on, huh?
10: Dr. Sloan says absolutely not. I checked that with other doctors. But Mrs. Horton did go into this right after the hypo.
2: Nurse's story, Jives of Sloan?
10: Mm-hmm. A little more detail. She says he did everything, he even used a stomach pump.
2: The woman was in pain. What's this? Head to feet. My way of saying
10: pain all over.
2: What other papers did you examine?
10: Only the medical record.
2: Get back to Sloan's office late tonight and examine all the papers
10: in his desk. Yes, can't you trust me? I tell you, there's no reason even to suspect these two.
2: When you have one of your adolescent's infatuations on, blood dripping from a dagger in a girl's hand would look to you like crushed rose petals. With this grace bangs out of the way, maybe you can recognize evidence.
6: Uh, Sounds like a long, bleak evening.
2: Hand me that medical book and then be on your way. I want to think.
10: Goodwin. Oh, good evening, Dr. Sloan. This is a surprise to us both. I didn't anticipate that you'd be keeping office hours after midnight. What are you doing in my office at two o'clock in the morning, Mr. Goodwin? Reading your mail and having a ghoulish time surrounded by all these shiny instruments of yours. You've been rifling my desk. I wouldn't do that if I were you. I've put things back very neatly, even the letters from this little secret compartment, which isn't secret at all to anybody who knows about desks. I've kept only one. Give me that letter. Easy. It's the, my darling, mine first, shan't ever give you up one way or another one. You remember it? I bet that nice little nurse you're engaged never wrote that, did she? What do you intend to do with it? Mark it Exhibit A in the Horton murder case. Maybe you'd
2: like to come with me and explain it to Nero Wolfe. Very moving, very flattering, very interesting, if you like women, but also very incriminating, Dr.
10: Sloan. What does it prove? A silly woman with a nervous breakdown? Imagine she was infatuated with me.
2: A woman who is now dead, you must remember, under, shall we say, unusual circumstances. You signed a death certificate which stated Mrs. Horton died of a heart attack. As you signed it, Dr. Sloan, did you remember she had threatened you... An eva sigh of relief that fate had done you such a good turn? I didn't bear Leslie any ill will. I was sorry for her. You felt adequate to the situation. You called no other doctor, though there are several in your building.
10: My first thought, of course, was that it was some extraordinary allergic reaction to the vitamin dose.
2: It was not until an hour or two after she was dead you decided she expired from a heart attack. Yes. How did you explain the pain?
10: I... I reported no pain. Miss Banks said Mrs. Horton had pain from her head to her feet. Grace said that? Well, not in those words, but that was the general idea. Dr. Sloan,
2: why did you use a stomach pump on a heart case?
10: Why, I, I, I told you I tried everything, sometimes an acute digestive disturbance.
2: I suggest you did it because to you, as to any qualified physician, the pain in the feet suggested poisoning, a particular kind of poison, an inorganic poison.
10: There wasn't any in her
2: stomach.
5: You maintain that? Archie,
2: get the medical examiner on the phone. Tell him the body of Miss Hal Horton must be examined for any evidence of poisoning.
10: I know you think Mrs. Horton was murdered, but it's impossible. There'd been no one near her.
2: Miss Banks?
10: Miss Banks couldn't have done it. She was working with me constantly.
2: That's what I thought you'd say, Dr. Sloan. Mr. Boy, I had to see you.
9: This is the most dreadful thing I've ever heard of. Trying to accuse Dr. Sloane of murdering a patient.
2: It appears he had a reason to want Mrs. Horton dead, Miss Banks. She was that thing the poets write about her woman scorned. She had sent him this hysterical letter threatening scandal. If he rejected her, he couldn't control
9: her. She kept coming back to his office making scenes. He gave her nothing but thymon chloride. I know, I fixed the shop myself.
10: Don't start covering for
9: it. I'm not! I tell you, I filled the needle. And I didn't put anything but thymine chloride in it. You haven't any reason to think anybody did, except for that letter you stole. If it wasn't for that letter, give it to me. Give
2: it to me. Come it, Quick. Now, drop it, baby. Come away from that fireplace.
10: Why, you little tiger kitten. I didn't think you had it, didn't you. come on, let go of it. I
12: won't, I won't.
10: Let go. Give it to Papa.
12: Now,
10: look what you did. You almost got Nero Wolf out of his chair.
2: Destroying evidence is a serious offense, young woman.
12: She kept coming to the office, writing, and pestering him. I heard her from the laboratory.
2: You read her letters, too, didn't you? You knew if something didn't stop her, Dr. Benjamin Sloan was a ruined man.
9: But he didn't kill her. I know he didn't.
2: I don't believe he did. You...
9: You don't? Well, then who?
2: You've just provided an excellent motive for having done it yourself, Miss Banks. White wine. Cold, luscious, exotic. Excellent friends. Excellent. The
6: best thing
10: that's happened today. I don't like this Sloan case. If you ask me, I think that Horton Dane got what was coming to it.
2: Those are not the words of abstract justice, nor the phrases of a gentleman of culture. A good detective never plays favorites. Good night's rest, and you will find your attitude more normal by morning.
10: You expect to have this case solved by morning?
2: It's solved now. Thanks to the expedition I sent you on this afternoon. The arrests can wait. No one will escape.
10: I feel like a murderer myself. If I hadn't wormed it out of grace about the Horton woman complaining of pain, and if you hadn't jumped at the word feet...
2: That, Archie, my dear fellow, is the purpose for which you exist, to discover pertinent facts. Have we quite finished? Coffee in the study, then.
10: Here's the door. I'll go. Mr. Wolf in? He isn't seeing anyone this evening, Mr. Horton.
2: Well, he's seeing me. Archie, if that's Mr. Horton, I'll see him. You'd better. Sorry you found Mr. Goodman so impossible, Mr. Horton. He he came to pay you a call this afternoon. I sent him, but he didn't find you in, did you, Archie?
10: No, but I made myself at home. I knew anything that would help to solve
11: this case you'd want us to have. What do you mean? You were in my house? What did you take?
2: Nothing of monetary value, I assure you. that will not be returned in due course. But before I announce the solution of a case, I like to have all my little props in place. I appreciate a well-rounded performance.
11: Mr. Wolf, I've had enough of this foolishness, this, this delay. I hired you to convict Sloan, not to play parlor games.
2: You must be patient, Mr. Horton. Don't force me. I want action. Well, I had planned to wait until the morning, but if you insist... These papers here may interest you, Mr. Horton. Mr. Goodwin here collects them, your wife's letters. Leslie's? You recognize the script? These are addressed to
11: Dr. Sloan. Do they, uh, they prove anything against him?
2: A lady's correspondence should be kept private. This other letter, however, was sent to you.
11: To, to me? Leslie's? What, what? give it to me. Easy, Horton, easy. Don't grab. Oh, but that letter's mine. You stole it from my desk.
2: There is a point in a case, Mr. Horton, where letters cease to be personal property and become
11: evidence. What evidence can that letter provide?
10: It seems you had reason for wanting to kill your wife, Mr. Horton. A man can get annoyed by a note saying his wife never loved him, that all his money isn't enough, and that she's going to another man. You accusing me of murder? It could have been the perfect crime. Poisoning one of those pills she was forever taking, or on the tip of the cigarette she chain-smoked, in a doctor's office to die in. If you hadn't been fool enough to try to pin it on Sloan, you might have gotten away
11: with it. If I had known while she was alive what Leslie was, I might have done anything. But that letter you stole from me was one she left under my pillow. I didn't find it until after she was dead. I didn't kill her. Owned it.
2: You hired me to prove that, Mr. Horton. Suppose you let me go about my business?
10: Nero wolf's office. Yeah? Oh, you did? Good boy. We'll expect you. I'll tell Mr. Wolfe at once. Medical examiner's officer, just as you thought, they found poison in the body. Listen to me. Inspector Kramer's picking up Dr. Sloan and Grace. They'll be here any minute. Kramer's set to make an arrest. I
11: told you. The police know it's Sloan.
2: Put the letters in Mrs. Horton's bag on my desk, Archie. Leslie's alligator bag? You stole that from my house this afternoon, too. Those things are mine. Inspector Kramer will want to take them with him. But
11: well, you think I want it made public, what Leslie did to me? Kramer can't have them. Maybe the inspector will want to take you,
10: too, Mr. Horton. Listen him in, Archie. Come in, Inspector Kramer, Doctor Sloan, Miss Banks. Wolf asked me to bring them here first before I locked anybody up. Mrs. Horton was murdered, all right. I'm sending a man for Horton, too. You won't have to. Mr. Horton's waiting here to join the party. Come into Mr. Wolf's office.
2: Good evening, Inspector. Good evening, Wolf. Uh, Will you all please range yourselves around the room as I indicate? Miss Banks here. Dr. Sloan, Mr. Horton. Archie, you stand between the two men, if you please.
9: Mr. Wolf, this is a dreadful mistake. I swear the doctor didn't. Stop thinking about the doctor.
10: What about you? If you're accusing Miss Banks, I might as well tell you.
11: Dr. Sloan, from
10: here in anything you say
11: will be held against you.
10: That's what I want. Let Grace go home and well, I'll. For talk...
11: heaven's sake, why don't you arrest the man? Isn't it obvious he's guilty? You and your trumped up charges against me.
2: I'll do the talking now, Mr. Horton. Mrs. Horton died from a certain inorganic poisoning. Poison administered in your office, Dr. Sloan, with a hypo syringe. Let's get it over with. I give her the hypo. But
12: I fill the needle.
2: There you are. They're both guilty. Which would solve the case if they weren't lying. Miss Banks believes Dr. Sloan killed Leslie for her sake. Dr. Sloan thinks Miss Banks put poison in the hypo to save him from professional ruin. They're trying to protect each other. The fact is the hypo they gave was perfectly harmless. It did not kill Mrs. Horton. Then what did? Mrs. Horton came to your office in desperation, Dr. Sloan. But she came prepared for the worst. You see this handbag? Can any of you identify it? Yes.
11: It's it, it hers.
2: Is it Mr. Horton?
11: It's Leslie. The
2: bag she carried to the office the day she died. Open it, Archie. You will see it contains her change purse, billfold, cigarette case, matches, her handkerchief, nothing more. That is, not unless you look closely. Then you would observe this lining has a double fold. A secret compartment. Exactly. We open it this way, and there we find it. A hypodermic needle with which the unhappy woman committed suicide. Mm -hmm. Miss Banks, Dr. Sloan, you can stop protecting one another. Mr. Horton, the world need never know you were a betrayed husband. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Horton killed herself while in a confused state following a mental breakdown. The case of the malevolent medic is closed.
10: How did you ever get the hunch about the handbag, Mr. Wolf?
2: I know nothing about women. But on my occasional trips abroad, I have been forced to observe their handbags. Monstrosities. They hold anything and everything. <laughs> now that
10: our guests have gone, Fritz is bringing coffee to the study. Would you like some beer?
2: I believe I would. Somehow I feel I've earned it. Ah,
10: uh, here you
2: are. Poor fellow, I'm very sorry for you. How so? This is one case in which there is no falsely accused, unattached young lady for you to squire about. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's to your better luck next time.
4: Ah. You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf. Starring Sidney
5: Greenstreet. And that was the amazing Sidney Greenstreet in two episodes of The New Adventures of Nero Wolfe, providing us with the definitive take on Rex Stout's brilliant character, Superb. Just time now to find out who the hell that Hollywood legend was.
0: Not only directed by Alfred Hitchcock, but
9: co-starring Cary Grant. Is it... The award winner,
5: Eva Marie Saint. <laughs> it is that. <there. laughs> yes, it was Eva Marie Saint who paid a visit to the What's My Line studio during the filming of North by Northwest to do a fabulous impression of Joey's agent from Friends. Did you get it? course you did you're very smart in case you'd like more of these shows you can find a hundred more instantly available right now by signing up to become a co-producer at www.patreon.com slash attaboysecrets not just that but you'll get a weekly invitation to our film club nights you'll be added to the credits of Every single podcast episode. You'll gain instant access to my classic movie library. You'll get nine more series of The Secret History of Hollywood that aren't available on the public podcast feed. You'll get movie commentaries, previews, ebooks, and much more. Only takes a moment to sign up at www.patreon.com slash ataboysecret or click the link in the show notes of this very episode. That is it from me for this week. You've been fabulous company. Thank you for joining me. Until we speak again, dearest friends, remember to take super care of yourselves and those you love. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews and e-books, and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now